the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Setter, your host for today. And today we are going to be talking with two of our pediatric physical therapists who are doing some absolutely incredible things to bring movement to more kids, to introduce different types of movement to more kids with a service line that we call Be Well. Um, So more about that coming your way shortly, but I'd first like to introduce our guests today. We have Jennifer Angeli and Danny Meyer, who are, as I mentioned, pediatric physical therapists here, and they're also co-directors of Be Well. Thank you both so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we will get to kind of what is Be Well and why is it so incredibly cool here in a couple minutes. But I'd love to start first with just kind of general, what is pediatric physical therapy and how is it different, if at all, from what many people know from their own adult experiences with physical therapy? Jennifer, would you start for us on this one? Uh, you know, so in, in a lot of ways, they're not that different. So, um, right. so both in pediatric therapy and in, in um, physical therapy that's directed toward adults or for adults, we're still talking about impairments. So these are things like, um, you know, muscles that are weak um, or muscles, um, that aren't stretching enough. Um, and we're still in, in both, um, areas of work talking about activities. So like, these are like, think about, um, like verbs. So words that end like in ing. So like, like crawling or walking or standing or jumping. And also, um, if you're in a good therapy setting, like both should still be focused on, you know, a person or a consumer, of services being able to kind of fulfill a meaningful role in their lives. So in the pediatric setting for us, that's like a kid being able to ride a bike in their neighborhood um, or to take an escalator, take the escalator at the Cincinnati Zoo, right, to get to the gate um, or to get on a climb up the bus steps um, independently or, you know, to have a summer job mowing the lawn. Um, So like ultimately they're both still very focused on optimizing quality of life. Um, I think that in the pediatric setting, um, the, the framework for the way that we work is the, the way that we operate is driven by age. Um, we're caring for kids throughout the lifespan, but what matters uh, most to families and kids is going to change as kids move through different chapters of life. Um, and subsequently, they'll move in and out of therapy services. That's a great place for us to start, Jen. Thanks for um, setting that foundation. And I guess I'd love to dig a little deeper on why is PT and movement in general particularly important for children? Yeah, I feel like Jen and I have both used the term a lot recently, physical literacy, um, which is a little bit different from health literacy. And it thinks about a patient as a whole and how they move 
it's not just the ability to move, it's the confidence to move, it's the motivation to move, it's this whole picture of things that comes together that creates your physical literacy and your, your confidence in knowing how to move for the lifetime. And so the big key there is that it is a lifetime thing, right? You're gonna establish your the concept of being active early on and from there, the, if you have that set early on, the more likely you are going to be active in later on in life. And then obviously most of us will know like the benefits of being active, right? Decreased risk for cardiovascular disease, improved mood and emotional well-being and all that stuff. So um, you add it all up together and starting here and showing families what your child is capable of doing um, is really crucial for us from a therapy setting. I can remember... Um, hearing once or reading once that the first 10 years of life provide this really absolutely critical window within which you must establish physical activity habits. Mm -hmm. Like that is it. Like that, that's the time to work. Um, and so I think as pediatric physical therapists, we're sort of, you know, perfectly positioned to make an impact in that area. Yeah. And I think too, with our, so say we have a child with a developmental disability that is coming up to us for therapy early on, like first few months of life, we're going to see them up until the point where if they're, if they're physically able to walk, then we're going to see them up until that point before we maybe take a break from therapy. So they get to see us a lot a lot. They are seeing us more than any other provider. If you see another specialty, you might check in with them every six months or so. But for us, it's weekly interactions. So we have this unique role and opportunity to talk to parents about like, hey, what do you do for fun? What do you do to stay active? And how can I help you kind of work through that as you grow up with this diagnosis? And, and what can we do to modify certain things so we can make sure that they're doing the things that you like to do as well? So I think that's probably a great place for you to tell us about Be Well and what it is and how it started. I, I guess I, I, I guess like I would back up a, a little bit from the service line and say, you know, kind of back to the importance of like movement in kids. It's a, it's a pretty well studied thing that moving our bodies every day is important and that the absence of movement is a problem. Um, and that's, you know, it's interesting. It's not really a unique, uh, problem for children. It's, uh, uh, or for adults for that matter. It's, it's sort of a universal, um, issue and, you know, really the, like the pandemic thrust a lot of extra light, I think on that problem as we all kind of ground to a halt and stopped moving. But even before the pandemic, like there, there was a fair amount of chatter and kind of the beginning of like some good, um, science and studies on, you know, a, a sort of a different sort of crisis. And this one is a crisis of not moving enough, right? And kind of a national physical activity crisis. And so when you ask kind of like how this, how Danny and I moved into our current roles and the, the advent of this service line, you know, I was very motivated by that. So there were, you know, like I said, really, really great work happening in kind of like the early 90s. And these, these sorts of um, like the delivery of very consumable science in um, things like uh, physical activity report cards, stuff that like everybody should be able to understand. Our our report card for for moving enough is failing or, or near failing, mm -hmm. um, and it has been for a lot of years. 
Um, but also these kind of trends or patterns like, you know, that girls move less than boys, um, that we have like dramatic losses in physical activity as all kids move into teenage years, that there's a, an especially vulnerable population and kids who have mobility limitations or, or challenges, which of course is, you know, a place where I resonate, um, you know, that wealth drives physical activity to some degree, you know, lower income brackets, uh, less likely to move. Obesity um, is climbing at an alarming rate, um, especially since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the implications of not moving are enormous. So I can remember... So that sounds really, like, those those are dire numbers. They really are. They you really put are. them all together, and yeah. that's kind of scary. Yeah, absolutely. I, the, but the, the number that speaks the most to me, and I can remember, so, so Nike had partnered with the Aspen Institute and maybe ESPN and a couple of kind of big players. And they did this, um, they've done some really impactful work um, trying to send that messaging out to, to the universe. And, but one of the most effective things that I, that I remember consuming and also have shared with patients was this like five more years campaign. So this, the five more years campaign, like the thrust of that is that for the first time, in, uh, well, I don't know if it's maybe forever or the first time in a long time, kids who are, are um, born are likely to die five years younger than their parents because they're moving less. So five, you know, five years of mm-hmm. life. And I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of down the line, like that's, that's an adulthood, but, but really like not moving impacts things in such a, such a sequential, but powerful way. You know, if you're not moving enough, um, you're likely to be more obese. Uh, you're likely to have lower in, in the academic universe. You're likely to have lower test scores. Um, you are more likely to engage in risky behavior. So drugs or pregnancy, you're less likely to attend college. You're likely to earn fewer dollars. You're likely to be less productive at work. Uh, is, you know, everybody knows or should know that there's, um, a really strong relationship between physical activity and the prevention of diseases like heart disease or stroke or some cancers, diabetes. Not moving enough is associated with increased rates of disability. And like this is amazing. It's also associated with this intergenerational cycle. So active parents have active kids. And parents who aren't moving have kids who don't move. And so it mm-hmm. just continues and it mm-hmm. continues and it continues. And somebody has to do something about it. And and that for me is is the angle for this service line that we work to develop. So if I'm jumping ahead of you a little bit, it's a service line to help kids move more. Is that a reasonable place to, to, um, to go next? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so how will you tell us about it? Just kind of the, the general premise of be well and how long you've been doing this. Yeah, I'm glad to share the kind of the... Yeah, I think you start and then I'll jump in where I kind of yeah became part of it. So central to the service line is that it's community-based. Like we are a medical center and we don't need to do all the things. We just need to partner with people in our community who are doing all the things. Um, we're focused specifically on kids with chronic or complex medical conditions mm-hmm. The service line is guided by therapists, so both physical and occupational therapists within OTPT. 
Um, but again, the, the programs are delivered by community partners who are already doing so many things well, um, but to different consumers. Um, and it's entirely supported philanthropically. So by really important auxiliaries within the medical center um, and also external partners like, for example, the Cincinnati Parks Foundation. So strategic, important players at the table. Uh, the service line started in a really small way. So I can remember, uh, so one kid, one program. Um, I can remember a boy who um, has cerebral palsy and um, was, you know, kind of a classic couch potato. You couldn't really get him to articulate any goals and you couldn't get him to move. And it stayed that way for a long time. And then he had um, physical fitness testing in his school setting. So he had to run a test that's called the pacer test and he threw up in the, during the pacer <laughs> test. And he was like, that's enough of that. I don't want to throw up, uh, you know, during the, during the pacer test. And so I said, well, I'm glad to help you with that. I can help you to run. I like to run. I often run actually at Lunkin Airfield at the time and you can come and run with me anytime. And so he would just, you know, join like in such a grassroots kind of way. Right. Mm -hmm. So, on the weekends or in the evenings and he'd tag along and eventually, you know, that kid ran up 5k. So, you know, it was a powerful story and that mm -hmm. was like an incentivizing to me also. Um, so I think from there we, we went from one kid to like, Oh, I did that with one kid. I wonder if I could do that with a couple kids. Um, and of course, as kids grow, the manpower for what you're doing grows. So like we had, you know, numbers of volunteers starting to come in and, uh, we went from, I think, one kid to seven kids to 14 kids. And and then, you know, like, well, that was running. Like, what else could we do? So, you know, a couple of programs. And now we serve hundreds and hundreds of kids and dozens of dozens of programs. Mm -hmm. I recently did the math. I think we are running programming uh, possibly 52 weeks of the year at this juncture. Holy cow. Yeah. It's, it's all the time. A long way. That's why we're very tired. <laughs> so I think I remember a story from years ago about bicycles and helping kids. Um, like I think there were adapted bicycles and some cool stuff with that. It, was that kind of a later iteration after you started with the running? Biking was pretty early, I think, in yeah. our in our cycle of events. But um, currently, it, so Danny and I sort of do different. Um, lead different parts of the service line. Mm -hmm. I lead things that are more series-based. So a program where kids will come and practice something for somewhere around like six or eight weeks. And mm -hmm. so we've done series on martial arts. We did a program where kids worked on strengthening in a park. We called mm -hmm. that Green Gym. We've done yoga. We did a program called Groove, which is like a uh, an attempt to foster movement through dance. We did martial arts work. We've done. We have a gardening program. We've done a hiking program. The hiking program last year won um, the Ohio Parks and Recs Governor's Award. So I have a nice piece of paper signed by Mike DeWine that says, "Good job on that one." Um, of course, our our 5K training program um, that was sort of where we all came from. And then Danny does more work with like one-off sorts of events mm -hmm. that are usually wild and hairy ideas that he has. Yeah. So we call those try it days. Yeah. I want to hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's actually how I got started with Jen is I had, you know, as I mentioned, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do through PT school, but I was always fascinated by adaptive sports. So adaptive sports can mean a bunch of different things, but essentially it's you take a sport 
someone who is not able-bodied that may have physical limitations some somewhere um, may need additional equipment or to alter the game slightly to be able to play it. And so I was always fascinated by that. I'm a snowboarder, and so I knew that Perfect North offered adaptive skiing. And I said to Jen when I was in my second year of PT school, can I take some kids skiing? And for whatever reason, she said, sure. So she let me use some of our funding to go try that. And from there, I just fell in love with everything that had to do with adaptive sports and, and Paralympic sports, which is competitive sports um, for individuals with disabilities that runs parallel to the Olympics. So if you have, what I mean by that is a lot of people think of Paralympics being like para, paraplegic. That's not the case. It literally means running parallel to the Olympics. So these are the highest level athletes competing with a disability right next to the highest able-bodied, highest level able-bodied individuals competing. But all that to say, my favorite thing to do ever is when someone comes to me and says, I used to play this, but now I can't. And I say, hold on one second. There is ways and we will find out how to make it happen. And sometimes they are wild and crazy ideas. Like, so for this past year, uh, about a month ago, we went indoor skydiving. We've done adaptive <laughs> snow skiing, water skiing, um, sled hockey, which is hockey played in a bucket seat, um, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis, you name it. And the big thing for that is snow skiing, water skiing, yeah, rock climbing, rock climbing, rock climbing is another one of my favorite because that's one of my favorite because we have kids that maybe their level of success is just I want to get to the next rock, right? I just want to go up mm -hmm. another foot. So it can be a very personalized experience where um, maybe you don't fit well on a team or you don't feel like you are as successful when you're with a big group of people, but you can set your goals right at the rock wall. And we see some families light up, kids light up. It's a really cool experience. But what I was going to say is my, my biggest thing goes back to Jen's initial point is that this is su supported alongside community partners. And the reason for that is because a lot of the kids that we see, they identify with the hospital. That's all they know. And so our goal uh, one of our main goals is to say, hey, there's so much more than this and let's show you what's out there. Let's get you away from the hospital, find something that you can find your identity in and thrive in, and then come back and see us when you need new braces or have another goal that you want to achieve. A lot of the stuff has been out there in our community. We yeah. have a good community full of stuff. I just think that the medical center some some part of the secret sauce seems to be that the medical center facilitates connecting kids mm -hmm. to those to those community partners and resources and then it becomes more comfortable and safe and they grow confidence right. and, mm -hmm. and competence and then we can kind of withdraw from the equation right they're mm -hmm. connected and playing and doing their thing and mm -hmm. yeah and that's you know that's the end game exactly. so i'm really curious to know when you have a patient who's identified as somebody who would benefit from one of the um one of the programs in be well how does that conversation with the family typically go? Like, here's your child who has some sort of physical limitation and I'm going to take them rock climbing. Yeah. Well, I think it's it depends on where they are in their life. So thinking about the spectrum, the lifetime, 
um, of care model that we have, we'll see kids who are three months old. And even then, I still have those conversations with families to set them up for success down the road and say, like, your child has cerebral palsy or spina bifida. Um, and so he, he or she will have some um, limitations in movement down the road. But look at all these cool things that are possible. So I start there. When I see someone coming out of inpatient rehab, post spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury, that gets a little bit more challenging because they are, um, you know, this, this whole life is very, very new to them. And so to say, I was a basketball player before, I can't be a basketball player now, it takes a lot of work and, and persistence to say you still can be a basketball player and, and here's how. And so families are usually, like the parents are usually really receptive to it. I think sometimes the kid is just not, they see that it's a different, a little bit different from what they're used to. Um, I think for families that are, that have grown up with a developmental disability and are now, you know, approaching the teenage years where you see them, maybe they were able to play with their peers, but now there's more of a disconnect because their peers are growing older and, and getting a little bit stronger than them or faster than them. And they feel like they're starting to fall off when you can come to a family then and say, here's opportunities to rock climb, to play soccer or basketball or anything like that, families are usually lighting up like, oh my gosh, I did not know this existed. And again, going back to our, our city being, having a lot of really cool and unique resources, it's that awareness and cohesiveness that Jen and I are trying to bring together so that we bring people in and then we push them out and they know where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to go. I think in that disability community it's just such a an of like a frightening kind of thing to me I, like as a mom you know I, I feel like 50 times a day I say to my kids you can do it yes you can yes you can yes you can and something like the narrative is different for kids with disability like early and often the the messaging that they can't like that they that their their lives somehow have to be different seems mm -hmm. to be um one that, you know, those, that those families hear and, and believe. And so I think, you know, we're especially interested in saying, well, that's outrageous. Like, of course you can, and we'll mm -hmm. help. And, you know, it's going to be fun. Yeah. 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 It's going to be fun. And we're going to set you up for a lifetime of doing these fun things. Exactly. Are there any kind of pediatric conditions, um, any kiddos that you've met along the way that you're like, wow, I wish they had known that there was, you know, more that they could do years ago. Um, any kids that if we are, if we happen to reach a family who's like, this sounds really interesting, like yeah. that they should reach out. Yeah. I mean, this, the service line is really, I mean, it's not even 10 years old yet. Mm -hmm. And when it started, it hardly counted as a service line. It was a kid and a program. So, I mean, we're, we're still relatively new. And I think on a daily basis, we're encountering families who say, like, let's be well. And, you know, oh, I didn't know anything about that. And no, nobody ever told me about that. And I think we're working hard to, like, to change that, you know, to make information widely available and to help families understand that if and when they're ready, we're ready too. It, it doesn't really matter. We have kids join all the time who are really young adults, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, who never got to the table as young ones and, and are still having a great time. Definitely. So I'm certain that first kiddo who you ran at Lunkin airport with is one that sticks out in your mind. Are there any other 
kids that you've met along the way whose stories are just really remarkable and stuck with you? Yeah, I can talk about one. I had a patient that came to me for, after rehab with a spinal cord injury. So I think around like a T6 through T7 spinal cord injury. So about um, chest level down, no movement or no feeling. And so he's one of those kids, and I keep referring to wheelchair basketball because I always think of him, that he used to play basketball and said, well, I can't play it now. And so I would always push him to try and get out and try one of our try it days through Be Well. And I wasn't successful with many of them, but I did get him to try wheelchair tennis. In the back of my mind, I always knew he was going to be a basketball player, but I did get him to try wheelchair tennis. He liked it a lot. He liked being in a sports chair, which I will say that's another reason why we do what we do is because, um, you know, all these these sports have highly specialized equipment. So your everyday chair is going to be a lot different than a tennis chair or a basketball chair. Um, so he got to get in one of those sports chairs and got to see what it was like. And finally, I got him to go to the wheelchair basketball try it day. And from there, things took off. That's when I said, we're done with PT because I can't, I can't give you the level of physical activity that you're going to get at basketball practice. And so, uh, his mom sends me pictures all the time of him, you know, with his Jersey on, they're traveling across the country. They're playing in tournaments. They just had a tournament. The Cincinnati dragons just had a tournament where they placed first place here in Cincinnati, where there were, I think eight teams from across the country that came to play. So it's just one of my favorite success stories. And that is my goal for every single one of my patients. Yeah, that's for sure. A shared yeah. goal. I, I yeah. think it was our chief of orthopedics or a surgeon who said to me once, a good surgeon is one who will put himself out of business, right? Who like does all of the right stuff on the front end so that the kid never needs surgery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that really is kind of the angle here. Like there are a lot of good things that we can be doing with you so that your need for therapy services or for complex and expensive medical services down the road might be, you know, diminished in in some way i mean we don't we don't it's very nice to meet you inside the walls of the hospital but that's not where we want you we want you out yeah and i think the other thing that's really really cool about getting these kids out and in the community is they're around similarly able peers so they're around peers that they can actually have a conversation with about um anything about any anything that re, that pertains to their disability and i'll tell a funny story one of my favorite pictures that i have is at our adaptive mountain bike day that we did over the summer. There were probably five or six individuals with spinal cord injuries sitting in their chairs, chatting about their catheters. And <laughs> I felt so left out. I was, <laughs> I was back there like, hey guys, can I, can I join it? And I couldn't. And that was so awesome for them to feel like, hey, these are my people. Like I can finally have these conversations where some other people would not understand whatsoever as you experienced. Yeah, exactly. And that's okay, but now they have each other. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you said, it's cool to meet you in the walls of the hospital, but I really want you out there. Um, and it's reminding me that in the walls of the hospital, it's hard for patients to know each other. And this is a really cool thing that likely these kids are all patients here. They might've been inpatient at the same time. You never know. Mm -hmm. But in these spaces in the community, they can truly get to know each other. And, um, and that, that's, 
you know, another aspect of the work that you're doing is, is bringing them together, which is really cool. Right. And I think along those same lines, the kids are getting together, but then the parents are too. And the parents get to talk about the challenges and successes that they've had. And so we have families that end up becoming best friends that they'll only sign up for a program if they know their buddy that was there last year with them is (laughs) going to come, you know, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times just in my, um, kind of program evaluation uh periods where i where i read these like kind of anecdotal statements from parents who say like i made a friend you know like Mm -hmm. moms and dads are finding other moms and dads and caregivers and it that's just a really powerful thing i mean i will say you know kind of back to the impact of the program and the intent of the of the service line we we started with this intent to foster physical activity, mm-hmm. you know, to say we're going to, we're going to rally against the physical activity crisis. Right. Uh, but I am a pretty data driven woman and we study a lot of things, um, you know, related to the, to the service line and our programmatic efforts. Uh, and some of them are, you know, kind of like who, are, you know, who are we serving <clears throat> and, how are their bodies working and where are they coming from? And some, some of our data points are more about feasibility. So, you know, are they attending regularly or any bad things happening during programming? As an aside, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> or we yeah, wouldn't be more, doing this. Right. Excellent. Right. Yes. That's uh, an excellent report. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what they're doing in the community, right? So like what, mm-hmm. what limits them from engaging in the community? Um, and, you know, and, and of course, efficacy measures, right? Uh, you know, as a scientist, I, think I want to know that what we're doing is making things better in some way, uh, specifically, you know, with respect to the quality and quantity of physical activity. But we're also studying these things that I used to kind of refer to as like s- softer measures that I think are not soft and are possibly the more important measures. So these are things like, does, it, does a kid like perceive that they're athletic? Um, or do they have social competence? Like, so, you know, how are, how are they doing in those social situations or what's their global self-worth like, um, or for families, like what's the, their perception of accessibility in our city? Like, can they do the things that they want to do? Are they closer to living a life that they want to have? Um, and it's not just fluff. Like we are measuring those and we are seeing real trends and, and changes in those measures. Um, and so, like we are intending to move people's bodies more, but somehow we're also creating a community and connections. And I think those pieces at this chapter in my career might feel like the more important and powerful things and the, you know, sort of the breadcrumbs that keep me coming to work every day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so important. I've been grinning from ear to ear hearing you guys talk about this. Like I can literally feel how much you love doing this work and how special and important it is. Um, And as we kind of wrap up our conversation today, is there anything um, if we're, if we have a family hearing this who is like, whoa, this is super cool. Like what would you love for them to know um, to do next or any final thoughts otherwise? Uh, there's a really easy way to subscribe to our mailing list so you'll get all the information. We typically send out a monthly newsletter with all the things that are coming up within the next month. But the way to subscribe to that is all lowercase, you type in a text message, B-E-W-E-L-L, so be well, no spaces, 
to 66866. Yeah, so d taking that step would subscribe you to mm -hmm. regular communication that would help you to understand if there are any sorts of opportunities happening. Um, I'm not sure that we said that we charge for nothing. Yeah. It, we're entirely philanthropically supported. So uh, programs are free for families. And so it's there's really no harm in being subscribed to that and knowing what's out there and ignoring it, you know, if you're not interested. And right. someday something will come along and it is interested. Maybe you're the one who wanted to go indoor skydiving or maybe you're the one who wanted to be in the gardening team I, in any case something is there for you yeah. um but we do also have an email address for the service line and i think you know we're glad to um to also talk to people who are interested in volunteering to support the service line this only works at this juncture with an, a with a massive army of people for sure um and so, you know, we're very glad. It's It's been a really cool thing to watch it um, grow from really being an OTPT thing and specifically at the medical offices building, so kind of our downtown outpatient site, to being an OTPT thing across sites and now becoming a medical center thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just at a hiking um, finale over the weekend and there were uh, people from surgery and surgery people from it there i mean it's just it's becoming the medical center thing and not our thing anymore yeah. and that's great that's awesome jen and yeah, i are so dreamers we're big we've got big ideas and one of my big ideas i have a vision for this facility at cincinnati children's that hosts all these things and we can get kids into a gym before they get out of rehab or anything like that so <laughs> having the whole hospital behind it is has been incredible to see it has. Yeah. yeah. But I think a, a quick message to um, the, the service line email about opportunities for volunteerism mm -hmm. or if someone would like to empty their deep pockets because they feel so touched by the effort. Like for, <laughs> right. you know, Shame, shameless yeah. plug shameless for philanthropic yeah, yeah, exactly. for philanthropic support. Incredibly yeah. important. It is. It is true because I do not want to get into the business of pay to play. I, they no. have enough barriers. They're facing exactly. enough barriers and the, and the cost to be a part of a program cannot be one of them. So it is important that we continue to have um, charitable giving mm -hmm. and can do what we're doing. Yeah, because I think if we talk about the patient I brought up before that got out to wheelchair basketball, if there was a cost associated with that, they wouldn't have gone or they, they likely wouldn't have gone. So there eventually is a cost in a lot of those programs, but that's once you're in and you've got to see it and you know this is my thing. And then we can figure that out from there. But for that first exposure to it, there shouldn't be any cost. There shouldn't, we should break down as many barriers as we can. And it sounds like you guys are doing it successfully and we're so incredibly grateful for your time to tell us about this work that you're doing that doesn't sound like work. It sounds like a whole lot of fun. Um, I know it's work and it's, <laughs> it's really not. It's really I, not. I, I mean, you had asked like why pediatric PT? I mean, like a kid's job is a kid's job is to be active and to play. And so like, it's hard to be dissatisfied with a job that forces you to roll up your sleeves and have fun with them. I mm -hmm. mean, that's, that's not really a job. That's right. That's a gift to be able to do that. You had asked about um, like impactful patients. I have um, one young man who um, kind of at the end of programs, you know, again, when we're kind of collecting information about how we did, the mom said to me that, that Be Well, our service line, is the most powerful source of inclusion that they have. And I, like I think – 
that is so very humbling, you know, to have the ability to make lives more meaningful is um, such a lucky role um, that we have. So mm -hmm. I think we just say thanks yep. to the medical center and yeah. to the people who let us do this stuff. I love that. That's a perfect way to wrap up this conversation. Um, I have enjoyed every second of learning more about Be Well and for getting to know both of you. Thank you again for your time. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Thanks. You're very welcome. We'll see you next time on the Young and Healthy Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This episode of Young and Healthy was recorded on October 25th, 2022. The Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco, and this awesome episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.